0: Open your Bibles this morning if you would to Exodus chapter 15 if you would Exodus 15 Exodus 15 and then we're also going to look a little bit later at Job chapter 42 the last chapter in the book of Job Exodus 15 and Job 42 for those of you who have Bibles or you got your Bible on a device of some kind let's pray this morning Father thank you for this new year thank you for this Sunday morning you've given us to sit in your presence and to hear your word to be taught by you and by your spirit I just pray the next few moments that you would burn into our hearts the message that you put in my heart that even as I share the things you've given me that you will speak to people individually right where they are and God prepare us for a new great year in Jesus name Amen a few weeks ago God dropped some things into my heart. This would have been, oh, I don't know, back before Thanksgiving. Begin to drop some things in my heart that we want to do here in the new year, and I'll make reference real quickly to it before I get into the message. He gave me a very specific message that I'm going to be sharing with you today, and then next week, for the next three weeks, beginning next week, we're going to be talking about prayer. The series is entitled Talk to Me. Talk to me. God wants to talk to you. He wants you to talk to him. We're going to be talking about the simplicity of prayer, communicating with God, talking to God. It's going to be great. And then the last Sunday of this month, there's five Sundays this month, on the fifth Sunday, we're going to have a day of worship, a day of praise. We're going to be baptizing people in water. We're going to have communion together. We're going to be praying for needs. We're going to just really take this month with prayer and really prepare our hearts uh, for what God wants to do in our lives this year. And one of the things that we'll be talking about next week a little bit, we're going to be talking about fasting. I'm going to be encourage you to fast with us for three weeks, for 21 days, believing God to do new things in our church and in our lives. But today, I want to start with, with a message that I honestly wish I had about two hours to just open up my heart and pour out everything that God's put in my heart. How many of you are excited today that I don't have two hours to do that? I thought so, especially first service. First service, they don't care because they know I'm going to have to get finished because we have a second service. Second service, it's different. But but I'm going to take a lot of stuff today. I'm going to jam it into one message. Because I believe that God wants to do new things in our lives this year. I believe God has great plans for us. I think God has better plans than we have for ourselves. We just have to learn to walk out those plans. But this is the new year. It's out with the old And it's in with the new. This is the third day of the year, so you've already done all that stuff. You know, you've you've taken care of New Year's Eve. You've done your New Year's Day bowl games and food and whatever you do. We're now on the third day of the year, but I want to talk to you about preparing your heart for things that God has ahead. Out with the old, this is a time of reflection. Looking back on last year, and you know, I'm... I'm not real big about year by year by year, you know, keeping, you know, writing novels and keeping track of everything. I don't do that. Some people, you know, make notes throughout the year. I I just don't do that, and I don't really break things into years so much. But I think every one of us has sat down the last few days and we've thought about last year. Thought about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And how many be honest this morning and say, you know, there are some things that happened last year that I would just as soon forget about, turn loose of it, and move on and let it go. Maybe you has some things behind you that are old and you're ready for the old to be gone. It's a time of reflection, a time when we sit down and we begin to throw away the things that we don't want anymore. But then it's also a time of anticipation where we begin to think about new things. We kind of start doing some window shopping You know, this year I want this, and this year I want that. And, you know, some ladies are going through magazines, Oh, I want this this year, and I want this this year, and I want my house to look like this, and I want my world to look like this, and I want my family to look like this, and I want my job to look like this. We start window shopping, thinking about what might be new things that we would like to see God do in our world this year. It's also a time for New Year's resolutions. Because the fact is, everybody say fact. FACT the fact is if you want something you've never had you're probably gonna to have to do something you've never done because we don't just have things fall out of heaven on top of us we walk by faith into new things but having said that have you made your New Year's resolutions Ann and I haven't talked about New Year's resolutions I leaned over to her in first service and you know I didn't make I didn't make a New Year's resolution I haven't told her about it before today but I made a New Year's resolution, and I decided I'm going to be a better husband this year. How many of you wives think that's a good idea? Yeah. How many husbands think that's a good idea? You better get your hand in the air. You're in trouble if you don't. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to be a better husband this year. And so what I thought I would do during first service, I just leaned over to her, and I said, have you made any New Year's resolutions? And what I was really fishing for was her to ask me, have you made any New Year's resolutions? And I said, have you made any New Year's resolutions? And she said, yeah. Just real coldly, yeah. And I said, well, what are they? And she said, I'm going to put up with you for another year. (laughs) So that was a perfect opportunity for me to tell her. Well, I'm going to be a better husband this year. So now i got to live up to that, figure all that stuff out. But, you know, I believe God wants us to face every new day, every new year with optimism. Because God is on our side. God is for us. He's not against us. And if God is for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. And every day, no matter what's going on in our lives, we need to have an optimism that even though the moment may not be what we wanted it to be, God is able to make all things work together for good. As a matter of fact, he's promised to do that. He didn't say everything would be the way you wanted. He said he would make it all work together for good if we love God and we're called according to his purpose. So we need to live with an optimism. And, you know, if we're going to live truly happy, productive, blessed lives, I mean blessed by God, we must learn to correctly deal with the old so we can pursue the new blessings that God has in front of us. Scripture tells us that His mercies are new every morning. I get up every day believing God's going to do new things. Whatever I'm going to face that day, God's got it covered. What I can't handle, God will handle. And I believe God wants us to have that kind of positive Optimism in our lives. So today, let's talk about things that we need to release, the old things that need to go so we can pursue the new. Look at Exodus chapter 15. I'm going to share four major thoughts and really four different stories from Scripture. I'm going to move quickly. I'm not going to read all four stories because we don't have time, but I'll tell you about them as we go. Exodus chapter 15, look at verse number 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. Notice this. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. In verse 27, then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. I want you to picture for just a moment what happens in this story. God has just delivered Israel from Egypt's bondage. They've just come through that Red Sea experience where they crossed on dry ground and then God caused the waters to come back together and totally destroy Pharaoh and his armies. They've had this amazing deliverance and they're dancing and they're singing and the women are singing praises and they're playing the tambourines and they're having a great time, but it's time to move on. So Moses says, let's follow God, and they begin to move on out into the wilderness. Now keep in mind, these people have been raised in Egypt. Egypt is all they had ever known. And so they start this journey. They've just seen this amazing deliverance. They're living kind of in this la-la land of of wonder until they get out into the wilderness. And Scripture says in that desert, that wilderness, they go three days' journey, and they begin to run out of provisions. They're thirsty. They need water. They're going to need food soon. Things are starting to get just a little bit dicey, a little bit tough. People are beginning to talk. And off in the distance, they see that there is a body of water, probably a a pond or a very small lake, a place that was later called Mara. So the people rush down to the water, and they get to the water and begin to drink of the water, and they find that the water is bitter, and it's poison, and they can't drink it. And when that happens, all of a sudden, unexpectedly, they begin to grumble and complain and gripe at Moses because Moses had brought them out to this place. Isn't it true that disappointments and unexpected circumstances often cause the waters of life to become bitter? And isn't it true that those situations oftentimes show up so unexpectedly it catches us off guard? You Here's Israel on this journey. They're, They're just a bunch of slaves who've just been set free. They're trying to figure out what this whole walk of faith is about. They're following God. They're thirsty. They come to water. The natural conclusion is there's water God has provided. But they get to the water, and it's bitter. It's poison. And suddenly, their whole lives become bitter and poisoned. Suddenly their whole outlook on the future becomes bitter and poisoned because unexpected experiences have come upon them. First thing I want to talk about this morning is there are going to be times in life when things just don't come down the way you think they should have come down. There are going to be times in life when your experience tells you, well, things have been tough, but it's going to get better, so I need this. And, oh, there's the water. I'm going to run to the water. And you get there, and things happen, and suddenly the waters are not what you thought they were going to be. And when that happens, we have to begin to make decisions. The first thing that Israel did was they began to complain. They couldn't see God, so they complained to Moses. Moses, you led us out here. The truth is he's following the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. He's following God. God led them to this place. But they get there and the waters are bitter. So they get angry at Moses and they begin to complain. Isn't that just like most of us? When things don't go our way, When we get to a place and we have expectations and the expectations aren't fulfilled, the provision we want isn't there, things are different, what do we usually do? We begin to grumble and complain and gripe and find somebody to blame for the situation that we're in. There are going to be times in life when the waters are going to be bitter. But it's interesting, as you read this passage of Scripture, three or four things really stand out quickly to me. The first thing is, Moses looks to God and says, God, these people are upset with me. I'm just following you. What do you want me to do? And it says, God showed him a tree. Moses cut down the tree and threw the tree into the waters. And Scripture says, when he threw the tree into the waters, the waters were made sweet. Now some of you are sitting there thinking wow that's 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 pretty superstitious the next time I find poison waters I'll just cut down a three a tree and throw it in the water it's a superstition thing it's not a superstition thing it's a sign it points to the future and I'll get to it in just a moment but Moses in obedience to God takes the tree puts it in the waters and suddenly everything changes because the, the tree changes your outlook on everything and it changes the condition of the waters at least five times in the New Testament the cross on which Jesus died is referred to as a tree throughout this message I'm going to be referring to that today I hope you keep it in your heart because I'll make some different points as we go the cross is called a tree the tree upon which Jesus was hanged the tree upon which Jesus died and here on the on the the platform today there, there's a, a cross here And I want you to picture that tree upon which Jesus died because all of our forgiveness comes because of what Jesus did on that cross for us. And as you look at that tree, looking back over your shoulder, if you've been to that cross and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you know that that cross changes everything. It changes all the waters. It changes all the situations. It makes you see life totally differently. The cross, the tree, changes everything. And when Moses put the tree into the waters, the waters were made sweet. But the the next thing that we see in this story is it says that there at the waters, at the bitter waters, God tested them. Let that sink in for just a moment. At those bitter waters, God tested. Tested them. God wanted to know what is your response going to be to this unexpected situation. Things are not what you anticipated. Things are not what you expected. Your expectations are dashed. The water is bitter. You can't drink it. What you want and need, you don't get here. How are you going to respond to that? As the people began to grumble and complain and gripe, God said, let me teach you a lesson here. Anytime you come to bitter waters, it's a test. Now, this is a test today, and you will be graded this week, okay? You'll be graded on how you deal with the bitter waters you might be facing right now. But then the next thing God said, God said, I want you to know in the future, and I want you to remember this, because this goes along with the test, that if you will hear me, If you will let me be your God, if you will trust me, if you will take the statutes and the principles I'm going to give you and let them shape your life, if you will walk with me and let me be your God, I will see to it in the future that none of the diseases, none of the plagues that fell on Egypt will ever fall on you and your life and your household because I am the Lord who heals you. Think about those words. You know, we take that verse, oh, I am the Lord that heals thee, but we never go back and read the rest of the verse. The Lord says, if you will walk with me and learn the principles I am teaching you, if you'll learn how to pass this test, I will see to it that none of the sickness and disease that fell upon your enemies will ever fall into your camp. I don't know about you today, but I'd like to have that kind of promise working in my life today. I'd like to have God's blessing and God's health and God's healing hand, his provision in my life and god said here's how you do it walk with me learn my ways and i will walk you away from the sickness and disease and death jesus said it this way the thief comes to steal kill and destroy but i've come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly do you know where that life comes from it comes from the tree it comes from the tree so we see this picture god lays this whole thing out what god basically said was properly dealing with bitter waters Will ensure your health physically mentally emotionally spiritually every area of your life healing comes when we let God walk us through the test of bitter waters the second thing I want to show you and I'll come back to the tree in a few minutes Matthew chapter 18 there's a story there of Jesus and in, 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 in chapter 18 of Matthew First, he has to deal with two brothers, two of his disciples, whose mom comes wanting to put them on the right hand and his left hand when he comes into power with all this ambition. Oh, put my one son here and my one son there. He deals with that and then all the animosity it's created among the disciples. And then he begins to teach about how to settle offenses and how to settle quarrels between brothers and sisters in Christ. He walks through that, and and then he talks about forgiveness a little bit. And as soon as he finishes, Peter pulls him aside. And you know Peter. Peter's the one to always speak up when everybody else is thinking it, but Peter's not afraid to say it. And so Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, Hey, Jesus, let me ask you a question. If somebody wrongs me, if somebody sins against me and trespasses against me, if they do it seven times in a day and then they come back and ask forgiveness, how many times do I have to forgive them? Is seven times enough? Now think about this for a minute. Think about this. Is it enough if I forgive somebody seven times? Is there anybody in the house today that's ever had somebody wrong you seven times in a day and you had to just keep going over it and over it and over it? I'm not talking about your spouse. Leave your spouse out of it, okay? You have to live with it. Just kidding. Honestly, I mean, have you ever had somebody seven times in a day offend you? See, Peter blows it way out of proportion. It's like, okay, uh, Jesus, you talk about this forgiveness thing, but where does this thing stop? Where does this thing end? How much is enough? Is seven times in a day enough? And Jesus looks at him and says, no, actually, 70 times seven. Hmm. See, I can do the math in my head. That's 490 times. There aren't enough hours in a day for somebody to offend you 490 times. The principle's not about the number of times. The principle is we never stop forgiving because God never forgives stops forgiving and then Jesus begins to tell him a story and says here Peter let me explain it to you this way this is all in Matthew 18 you can go home and read later Jesus said now now Peter here's the deal there was this king this ruler and one day he decided that there were a lot of people who owed him money and he wanted to go settle accounts with some of these people he wanted to get his money so he calls this one guy in and this one guy owed him 10,000 talents of silver I mean that's a lot of silver bars That's how much he owed, 10,000s, thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of dollars. He calls this guy in and says, hey, you owe me this money. And the guy says, yeah, I know, I'm trying, I'm working on it. And the ruler says, well, I want you to pay up now. This guy begins to cry and says, please, master, I've got a family. I'm working hard, I'm doing my best. Please give me time, be patient with me, and I'll pay it all back. Jesus said he... He, the ruler, the king, looked at this servant and said, you know what, I am going to have compassion on you and I'm going to forgive the whole thing. It's done. Forget about it. You see, what we have here is a picture of the cross. When you come to the cross, you owe a debt that you cannot pay. In a thousand lifetimes, you can't pay for all your sin. Scripture says in the New Testament and Romans that the wages of sin is death. There's no way we can pay that debt. We deserve to die, but yet God forgives us. He washes our sins away with the blood of Jesus, and he chooses to remember our sins no more. So Jesus said, this ruler forgave a debt that this man was never, ever going to be able to repay. He's shown us God's forgiveness. But then Jesus said, that man went out, and he was like, Phew. Man, I'm broke, I got nothing, but I've been forgiven this debt. Wow, everything is different now. He's walking down the road, and he runs across this guy who owes him $5. He says, hey, hey, dude, you owe me five, five bucks. Where, I don't have any money. Where's my five bucks? The guy looks at him and says, I'm sorry, I don't have it right now, but if you'll be patient and give me some time, I promise you, I'll pay it all back to you. The very words that the other guy had just spoken to the king And this guy gets angry and goes and grabs him by the neck and begins to shake him and says, no, I want my money now. And the guy says, I don't have it. I don't have it. And he drug him off to the jailers and had him cast in prison. And in those days, if you owed debts and couldn't pay it, they would lock you in prison under hard labor and the money that they made day by day was set aside until they paid the debt in full. And he said, you keep him here and do not release him until I get my five bucks back. And Jesus told Peter, Peter... When the master heard what happened with this guy he was so hurt and so upset that he went and found the guy he'd forgiven and he had him cast into the prison and said you will not get out until you pay every bit of it back to me that's kind of interesting but here's the last thing that Jesus said in that story verse number 35 Jesus said this is Jesus this is not Pastor Gary Not Pastor Gary's idea. I didn't even get this from Matthew Henry. Didn't get it from some commentary. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Jesus said, You've been to the cross, you've been to the tree, you've had a debt forgiven that you could never repay. Now carry that cross. every time a bitter situation comes along throw that cross into the waters and realize you got to forgive too you got to forgive you got to (laughs) forgive truth is i'm going to shock the world today but sometimes i am slow to forgive I'll help you too, because you are too. Just kidding, bro. I'm not picking on you. Am I talking to anybody in the house today? Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. But the truth of the matter is, unforgiveness creates a spiritual problem. That spiritual problem begins to re- lead to other problems. Many years ago, this has probably been oh, 35 years ago. There was a, a medical center here in, in the United States that did a long-term study they studied people with different diseases and they showed people different lifestyles and what they ended up doing was they took people and they broke them into two groups there was one group of people who were just happy carefree you know whatever happens in life it happens just keep moving on They're really just forgiving people and they they watched their lifestyle and then there was this other group of people who were angry and bitter about the past they were carrying hurt they were carrying offenses And they monitored these people over a period of time. And what they learned was the people who were angry and bitter, that bitterness began to change the chemical balance in their body. And an imbalance was created in the stomach. And over a period of time, that excess of fluids that was created in the stomach began to cause other sicknesses and disease. And they found in this study that many forms of arthritis and many forms of cancer begin in the pit of somebody's stomach who's carrying bitterness. See, bitterness creates spiritual problems. It also creates other problems as well. Mark chapter 11, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, when you stand to pray, now here's the words of Jesus, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Let me me paint a picture of this. Jesus said, okay, God's sitting on his throne. Some of you have trouble with this, but I'm going to be God for a minute here, okay? I'm going to... Everybody hear that? I'm going to sit on my throne. Jesus said, when you pray, if you've got bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart, God's like, I didn't hear anything. God, help me. God doesn't answer those prayers. Because what we're in essence saying is what they have done to me is greater than what Jesus paid on the cross for my debt I cannot forgive and God says if you can't forgive I can't forgive you see listen closely ongoing forgiveness is a two-sided kingdom principle we're forgiven continually, but we must learn to forgive continually. That's the Word of God. As a matter of fact, years ago, I had a, a minister friend, old minister who'd been in ministry for many years. He's now gone to be with the Lord. He told me one time, he said, Gary, when offenses come, and they are going to come, did you know Jesus said it's impossible that you won't be offended from time to time? Jesus said it's impossible for offenses not to come. You're going to get offended. But this man looked at me and he said when offenses come i've learned it's nothing unless i say it's something it's nothing unless i make it something he said you have to choose you have to learn to release things and not be offended by things people say and people do and you know i'm a pastor my my heart is i've already told you i wish i could sit here for two hours and teach you all of this stuff today but i don't have that much time I wish I could pour out my heart and just give you everything I know about this. But but let me tell you something. It's easy to be a Christian if you're on an island by yourself and there are no people there. It's easy. <laughs> because then you only have God and the devil to be mad at. That's the only people you can get angry at. But when you live among people, you are going to be offended. That's life. The question is: what are you going to do with the offense? You can hold it or you can release it. If you read a little further, here's something else Jesus said. This is a great scripture. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus said, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgiven, you will be forgiven. Now Somebody said, well, we're not supposed to point a finger at sin. No, it's okay to judge sin. It's okay to look at sin and say, sin is sin. It's wrong. Scripture's clear about that. What it says is be careful about becoming the judge, the jury, and the executioner and passing your judgment on to people. Jesus said, don't do that. And then the next verse, do you know what he said? Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. Now, we use that scripture a lot in, in full gospel churches about giving because it fits really well. The truth of the matter is, when you put it back right where it belongs in context, it's not talking about giving. It's talking about forgiving. Jesus said, as you forgive, you will be forgiven by people oh, this is good preaching today. I like this. Man, I'm going to buy the CD. It's good. I might even buy the cassette. It's so good. I don't know where I'll play it. but What we find is forgiveness is not an option. It's a kingdom principle. It's two-sided. I receive forgiveness, but I have to be willing to forgive. Here's what Paul said about it in Ephesians 4. He said, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. King James says, Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. As we are forgiven, we have to learn to forgive. Then the last part of this, look at this guy and the story that Jesus told. Couldn't forgive the guy for the $5 debt. And he ends up thrown in prison being tormented for years and years and years the point is the end condition of that guy was worse than the previous condition I'm gonna move on but I want to make one more point here when you've got unforgiveness in your heart you don't send somebody to prison you go to prison are you hearing me today you go to prison I'm mad at him, and I'm not going to talk to him until, until, until. And that guy doesn't even know you hurt. Doesn't know you cared. Doesn't even know he did anything. He's just going on with his life, happy, loving God. I mean, some of these days God's going to get him. Some of these days God's going to get him. I'm going to forgive him, and in and in and in and then. it goes on and on and on. You're the ones living in prison. Hello, can I get a Yahoo or a something? First. First Sunday of the new year. Couldn't you talk about something good? I'm talking about the best thing I could give you today to move forward, out with the old and in with the new. I'm going to get the new in just a moment. But Jesus said we've got to understand the kingdom principles of forgiveness. Then the third thing, there's a story in the Old Testament, and this applies to all of us, but there's a... There's a book in the Old Testament called Obadiah. How many have ever read Obadiah? How many don't even know where to find Obadiah? It's just before Jonah, if that helps you any. Obadiah is one of the minor prophets. It's minor not because it's not important. It's minor because of the size of the book. That's the difference in the major prophets and minor prophets. Obadiah was a prophet who received a word from God, and his book is one chapter long, 20-something verses. It's real short. Your homework today is to go home and read Obadiah. Read it slowly. It's broken into three or four sections. Read it and get the message. I'm going to tell you what it was about, and I'm going to help you understand this, I'm going to show you some principles about Obadiah. Obadiah received this word from God, and here's what what it was all about. He said, the nation of Edom, E-D-O-M, the nation of Edom was about to be judged by God for the way they had dealt with the nation of Israel. let me give you the history on this everybody knows about Israel Abraham Isaac Jacob who became Israel who became a great nation da 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 we know that story well the Edomites had wronged the people of Israel but let me show you how it happened before we get into the story you got to go back to the lineage there was Abraham there was Isaac there was Jacob but if you remember Jacob had a brother whose name was Esau and With Jacob and Esau, in those days it was customary, the firstborn son got the the bulk of the inheritance and got the blessing from the father. But God had determined that he was going to bless Jacob, the secondborn, rather than Esau. And they're born as twins. Esau is born first. Jacob comes out holding on to his brother's heel. So from the very first start, from day one, he's trying to get what belongs to his brother. He's called a conniver his whole life. That's what, what his name meant. He's a conniver. He's, a cheat. He's trying to cheat his brother out of the birthright. Eventually, he gets his brother to sell him the birthright for a, a bowl of porridge, a bowl of stew. And his mom gets involved, and it makes matters worse because she's favoring him. And when mom gets in the middle of it, it's a whole family mess. It's what we call family dysfunction. Does it, has anybody ever heard of that? It goes all the way back to Adam, their first kids. One of the boys killed a brother. From then on, it's been hell on earth in families because it's a part of it. Here's what I want you to see. Eventually, the brothers kind of halfway departed and went different ways, and God blessed them both. But they they never did really settle stuff because Esau had stuff in his heart. Hundreds of years later, the Edomites are the descendants of Esau. And they're still carrying this bitterness inside towards their great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather's great brother who gave birth to the tribe of Israel. And the Edomites lived down in what is now would be kind of west-central Jordan where the area where the mountains are with the big cliffs where Petra is found. It's really hard to get to Petra. I've been there. It's hard to get in and out of there. And those people lived there in safety because the access was so difficult they could fight their enemies off. God spoke to the Edomites through Obadiah and said, I am going to destroy you. I'm totally going to level you and wipe you off the face of the earth for what you did to Israel. And here's what they did. Scripture says that Israel kept getting further and further from God, and God warned them through the prophets, if you don't stop this, if you don't turn back to me, I'm going to take my hand of protection off of you, and and other nations are going to come ravage you. Israel kept right on going that path and finally God removed his hand and when he did enemies came in from the outside other nations came in and ransacked the entire nation of Israel and carried off slaves I mean they took whatever they wanted of the land the Edomites sat back and watched and watched and watched and here's what God says in verse 12 or or verse 11 God says on the day of your brother's calamity You were as one of the attackers. They never got involved in the battle. They never attacked, but he said, you were as one of them because you sat back and in your heart, you said, yeah, 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 get them, get them, get them. Verse number 12 says this, you rejoiced and spoke proudly of their destruction. That's what you get. That's what you get for cheating my great great, 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 great grandpa. It was like the Hatfields and the McCoys, you know, going at each other. Ah, That's what you get, that's what you get. Yeah, 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 yeah. you're not the people of God. We're the people of God. got worse from there. Next thing he said, God said, you took the spoils of their destruction. They didn't go in and ransack the land initially, but they came in later on and took whatever was left for themselves. Then finally God said, you prevented the escape of the refugees what God said was you went down to the crossroads and as people were trying to get away from the terror and the war as mamas are running away with their babies trying to escape you captured them at the crossroads and you held them until the enemy could come and carry them away into slavery and God said for those things for your attitudes and your actions God said I'm gonna judge you here's what he said in verse 15 as you have done it shall be done to you your reprisal shall return upon your own head now I know exactly what you're thinking I know exactly what you're thinking well that's just that Old Testament stuff that's Old Testament that that's Old Covenant none of that's in the New Testament so forget about that that doesn't matter today you know some people seem to believe that when Jesus died God changed you read God's words in the Old Testament he said I am God that's who I am and I don't change I am who I am and I'll always be who I am jesus said or jesus scripture says in hebrews is the same yesterday today and forever we're in a new covenant absolutely but let me tell you something galatians chapter 6 verse 1 tells us how we're supposed to deal with people who are hurting for whatever reason galatians 6 1 says if you see a brother who's overwhelmed and overtaken in a fault you who are spiritual restore that brother in a spirit of meekness. When you see someone being steamrolled and and their life gets flattened and their world falls apart, even if they brought it on themselves, don't take pride. Don't take joy. Don't look down your nose and think you're better. He said, go to them. It's a responsibility of Christians to go to those brothers and sisters and help restore them to a place of strength. In the last part of verse 1, in Galatians 6, it says this considering yourself when your day of temptation comes. What it said was, if you want God's grace when your weaknesses are being tested, you better learn how to help people when they're hurting. Watch your attitudes towards people. Let me ask you a question today. How do you view people when they're hurting? How do you view people when their world falls apart? be careful how you judge I remember back when I was a young minister just getting started in the ministry there was a a very prominent television minister well-known across the nation around the world he was probably the biggest thing of his of of his day at that time made a horrible mistake fell into sin confessed it before God in the world and when he did his greatest attackers and accusers were other television preachers, other ministers. Instead of running to his rescue to try to restore him, they began to assault him because they wanted his TV ratings. They wanted his kingdom. They even wanted his lands and his property and his possessions. And they began to attack from all directions. And they even came in trying to buy what he had, pennies on the dollar, trying to take over what he had built. They pointed fingers and they mocked him and they laughed at him and they said all kinds of ugly things. But a a couple of years later, some of those very same people fell into the very same sin. Because they didn't consider that there would come a day when they had to deal with their own weakness. When I was a kid growing up in church, there, there was a young man in our church who... He was one of those guys, he was just always a straight arrow. Everybody loved him. From the time he was a teenager, he walked with God, served God. He was involved in music. He was involved in ministry all over the church. I mean, this guy was just, as a young man, he was just a real leader in the church. But something happened after he got married had his own children. Something happened and some bitterness began to sneak into his life. And he began to harbor some things. And he began to consider himself better than other people. And Somewhere along the road, there were some people he got upset with who were in leadership. And some people in the church fell into a a bad relationship, a relationship they never should have gotten into. There was some sin going on. And the pastor of the church was trying to deal with it quietly and help salvage some families and some marriages and keep some things worked out. And one day this young man walked into the pastor's office and he ran in and slammed his hand down on the desk and said, Pastor, you know what's going on in this church. I want to know what are you going to do about it. And the pastor got up real quietly and walked around the desk and walked over to him and said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay my hands on you and I'm going to pray for you. And when your day comes, when your faith is put to the test, when your weakness is exposed, I'm going to pray for you that you'll do better than these people have done. The young man got furious and stormed out of the office, left the church, went to another church nearby, began to badmouth the pastor, badmouth the church, badmouth the people, on and on. And he carried this bitterness for a few more years until one day it hit the fan. And his bitterness had so overwhelmed him. his whole world got turned upside down he got into a relationship that was so vile if I talked about it today many of you'd be embarrassed and he fell into that relationship and when it got exposed he lost everything he'd ever had because bitterness had consumed his life and had made him the very thing that he detested friends we need to be careful about what we say what we do about other people when they're being exposed lest we be exposed and, and then the last thing I want you to read this with me Job 42 some of you are wondering well can he finish in six minutes the answer is no <laughs> but I won't be much much beyond that the last thing I want to show you turn to the book of Job chapter 42 how many are joining this this morning you're gonna if you'll walk it out I promise you you'll enjoy the outcome of it Job 42 job's an interesting book there are a lot of different takes on job from different people the first two or three chapters of job tells a story of what happened in heaven and earth and in job's life and then for about 35 or 40 chapters almost it's all just talk chatter it's job And three of his friends all saying, well, here's what happened. Well, you must have done this, and you must have done this, and God would do this, and God did that. On and on. For like 40 chapters, it just goes on and on and on and on. People's opinions about Job and God. But you get to the end of the book, in chapter 42, and you begin to read some interesting words, because in the end, this is what God said. God said, in all that Job went through, he never lost his integrity. He never stopped believing God. He never gave up. In the end of his life, God restored Job. Now, I want you to read with me. Job 42, verse number 7. And so it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite. How many of you think you've got a friend named Eliphaz the Temanite, you already need another friend, aren't you, right? Right? The Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Friends, be careful. Be careful what you say on God's behalf in announcing his judgment on people. Don't be careful. Say, oh, it's obvious that God's doing this to you. Let God speak for himself. He's perfectly able, okay? God said, you've not spoken what's right. Verse 8. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly. Because you've not spoken to me what was right, as my servant Job has. In verse 9, it gets worse. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. This guy, I mean, he's like he's running with the three stooges, you know? they all went and did as the Lord commanded them for the Lord had accepted job so what happens is these three guys come to job and said job we're sorry you know we've spoken on God's behalf and we were totally wrong about a lot of stuff and God told us to come to you and say we're sorry bring these sacrifices and if you accept our apology we ask you to offer these sacrifices to God and Scripture said they did so together they offered the sacrifices then it says that job Prayed for his friends I look at verse 10 and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends indeed the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before the last thing blessing and release comes from bitter waters when I am willing to pray for those who have wronged me. You know, I'm, I'm, some of you laugh at me when I say this. You're not supposed to laugh when I say this. I'm still a young man, but I've seen some stuff. I've been through some stuff. I've been preaching for 40 years. I've seen a lot of stuff, even from God's people. I've been stepped on a few times. And there have been times that I've been slow to forgive. I'm not going to be dishonest about it. One of the hardest things you will ever do is to get down on your knees and ask God to bless somebody who's tried to destroy your life. It's hard. David talked about it. David said, man, these are people I went to God's house with. We worship side by side, and they've tried to destroy me. They're my enemies now. God demands that we learn to forgive to the point that we can ask God to bless people who've wronged us. Even at the bottom of the barrel, Job had lost everything. He'd had sickness, disease, all kinds of things happened. But at the bottom of the barrel, when he came to his senses, he looked up and said, you know what? My Redeemer lives, and I'm still going to keep on trusting God. And when his friends came, he forgave them, and he prayed for God to bless him. And it says when he did, God released Job from all he'd been going through. And God not only blessed him with new things how many ready for new things god not only promised new things and blessed him with new things god gave him twice everything he'd ever lost in the beginning because he was willing to forgive it's kind of interesting we started at the bitter waters of merah after they left merah and those bitter waters they came to a place called elam and there were wells and there were palm trees there 12 wells of water, 70 palm trees to water God's people. Everything they needed. It was just a little further beyond the better waters. Job lost everything. We don't know the full period of time, but at the end, God gave him twice everything he'd ever lost because he forgave as he'd been forgiven. I'm almost finished. Scripture warns us in in Hebrews chapter 12 to be careful lest we allow a root of bitterness to spring up in our lives. The thing about bitterness is you can hide it. It can grow underground. It can be way down in your heart and nobody sees it and you mask it for a long time, but it's growing and it's growing. But one of these days, somebody's going to touch you in the wrong place and that root of bitterness springs up. And when it does, you just go crazy on 12 different people and destroy them. God, be careful about resentment, about bitterness, hurt, and pain. As a matter of fact, I have the right at times to be disappointed. I've had some disappointments in my life. Things haven't always gone right. We have a right to be disappointed. I have a right sometimes to be hurt. Sometimes we have a right to be offended. Sometimes I even have a right to be bitter at things people have done to me. but I also have a responsibility to forgive remember the story of Joseph when when Joseph is in power and his brothers come back to the land and you know they, they put him in slavery and he, God put him on the throne remember how Joseph's brothers come around and they're all afraid of Joseph then when dad dies then they really panic oh boy dad's dead now Joseph's gonna wipe us out so they all come and fall down at Joseph's feet in Genesis 50 and they lay down at his feet and say we'll be your servants just don't destroy us but what Joseph's response was he said don't be afraid am I in God's place my place is not a place of judgment it's a place of compassion and forgiveness that ruled Joseph's life it needs to rule our lives Jesus was hanging on that cross They're laughing, they're mocking. Religious leaders are there. Roman soldiers are there. He's dying, his life slowly draining away. And what are his words? Father, forgive them for they don't understand what they're doing. It's the words of Jesus. As hard as it may be, we need to learn to speak those words when we face bitter waters. Isaiah 43, God gave a promise to his people, and I love this promise. I mentioned earlier at our, at our, during our worship time that God has the ability to just make things new over and over and over again. Isaiah 43, God says, forget the former things. Don't think about the things of old. Out with the old, God says, behold, I'll do a new thing. Waters in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, all your dry places, God says, don't get stuck there. Don't get stuck there. I'm going to do new things. Friend, I don't care what people have done to you. It's not as great as the new things God wants to do for you forget about the old out with the old put it in the trash and move on because God has new things he wants to bless you with Now, close with this I told this story several months ago but it's so fitting I need to tell it today many years ago I met this minister and he was up in years he was an amazing preacher one of those guys I mean, He just had a way with words I mean you could just sit and listen to him for hours big deep booming voice he'd been in ministry for many years but there was a story behind him because he was in his second phase of ministry he pastored a denominational church in the south back in days of great legalism and back in the days before there were TV preachers he was one of the more prominent radio preachers in all the south part of the United States everybody knew who he was pastored a large, great booming church in those days. But somewhere along the line, something happened, and his life got out of balance, and over a period of time, his family began to fall apart, and his marriage fell apart. And then when that happened, church people began to turn their backs on him, and all kinds of things began to happen. And he got really ugly, tore the church to pieces. He ended up out of the ministry. He'd made mistakes. He'd deserved some of what had happened, he admitted. But as time went by, doors of ministry opportunity just wouldn't open. There was no chance to share God's Word, no chance to do what God had called him to do. He got him another line of work. He remarried a godly woman, and they, they had a good marriage. But he got sick. And he was angry at the way people had treated him. He was angry how people had responded to him. Led to bitterness in his heart. He couldn't get beyond it. And he got worse and worse and more sick and more sick and more ill. He ended up in the hospital. The doctors began to work on him. They worked for days, which turned into weeks. And every day he got worse, worse, worse. Until he was at the point of death. And the doctors walked into his room and said, "Sir, we don't know what to tell you. We don't know what's wrong with you. We can't find it out. We can't discover it. All we know is you're dying, and, and, you're, at the, and you're at the end of your road. We give up." When the doctors left, he asked everyone to leave his room and. Locked the door, closed the door. Laid there for a while and began to grumble and complain to God, just like most of us would do. Then laying there in that bed, he had a talk with God, and God began to knock on his heart, his hard, bitter heart. He began to think about all the people who'd tried to ruin his life and who'd taken his ministry away from him. Reached over into the nightstand drawer, opened the drawer, and pulled out a phone book. Grabbed the phone, started making phone calls. Went through that entire phone book. Every person he knew from the past, he called him up and said, this is, and he gave him his name, and he said, you probably recognize my voice. I'm just calling to tell you I forgive you What's done is done. It's in the past. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And he'd hang up the phone, and he'd call the next person, and then the next person, and then the next person. And with every phone call he made, he felt better, and he felt stronger. Two days later, he went home from the hospital, and he lived to preach the gospel another 15 or 20 years because God restored him back to health. And, friend, I'm telling you, God's blessings are too great. What's new and what's ahead of us is too big to miss it. We don't want to miss it because of bitterness. I wanna pray for you this morning. I wanna ask you to bow your heads. Everybody in the house, I wanna pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to the cross and we thank you that you've forgiven us of a debt we can never repay on our own, never in a million years. God, we confess our sins to you and we ask for forgiveness for those people that we've held in prison, for those that we would not release. When truly we've lived in the prison because of our unforgiveness god forgive us of our bitterness cleanse our hearts help us to turn loose of it let it go once and for all that we can move forward in you and see your hand of blessing on our lives this year in the name of jesus i ask and father release us and god i'm praying for a, a twofold blessing on every person whose heart is open to you today god in this new year give them twice everything they've lost in the past and restore them to the rightful place in Jesus name While well, heads are bowed for just a moment eyes are closed nobody's moving this is the last thing maybe you're here today maybe you've never opened your heart to God maybe you've never come into relationship with God but maybe today you feel God tugging on your heart and you realize there's something real about this maybe you're realizing you need Jesus Christ in your life and maybe right now you're in a place where you're ready to say I believe I believe I believe Jesus is the Son of God who died for my sins and was raised from the dead, and I believe he's the only way to God. While you're sitting there, maybe you're thinking, but I don't want religion. Friend, I don't want to give you religion. I'd love to bring you into relationship with God. Maybe right now you would say, I open my heart and, God, I need you. I want to lead everybody in a prayer, everybody in this house, and I want to ask everyone to repeat this prayer right out loud. Let's all open our hearts to God and say, God, I need you. And I open my heart to you. Please come into my life. I want you and I need you. Forgive me of all my sins and cleanse my heart. I believe in Jesus as the son of God. He died for my sins, and was raised from the dead. And I accept Jesus as my savior. And I choose him to become the lord of my life. from this day forward god you are my father and i am your child thank you for loving me and receiving me in jesus name amen those of us who know the lord can we put our hands together and welcome people into god's family today